On this episode of the Byron Lazine podcast, I was blown away by this CEO. This is the CEO of all of Remax, every country they're in, every division, everything. I get to talk to Nick Bailey, Tom Tool, Remax agent, number one in Philadelphia. He joins the pod and it was just unbelievable. I have so much respect for this individual. Didn't know him before. I mean, I push him on a lot of things in the industry. I ask him questions that nobody has asked him before and he answers every single one of them with a straight-up non-CEO-like answer. This is a really special opportunity to get inside the mind of the person who's running all of Remax. Definitely and hope you enjoy this. And check out Sisu too, by the way. Nick was a fan of Sisu. Couldn't say better things about Sisu, and neither could I. My entire team, which is the number one team in Connecticut, runs everything off of Sisu. If you want to increase your annual average on your volume. If you're a team, well, CSU does that on average at 107%. And if you're an individual agent, your annual average will increase by 28% by using CSU. It automates your business. Forget about 20 different logins. All you need is CSU. Check out the link below and see if it's the right fit for you. CSU, use it. Link below. Can't wait to hear your thoughts in the comments on this pod with Nick. All right, Nick, thanks for taking some time with us. You were the beginning of the year. We're, we're here at the T360 Summit. Beginning of the year, you were number 23 as the most powerful person in real estate on the list. But Adam was, I think, number nine, who you took his spot at Remax. So does that make you now like number one? Because you're <laughs> taking 23, nine. You've got two spots, I would say, now on the list. <laughs> I don't right? know. Is that I, how that works? I didn't even remember my number. Thanks for yeah, reminding well, I just, me. I looked it up 12 seconds I don't know ago, if we so. divide by two. I don't know how it works. Yeah, we'll, we'll ask maybe uh, <laughs> T360. We'll ask Stefan. Well, Stefan or Jack, yes. How that works out. Do you get two spots? Does it work you up? But no, really, thank you for taking the time. Obviously, Tom set this up being, being a Remax guy, being the my number one was, guy to pay attention to in Pennsylvania, right my, here. My father... One of the original broker owners at Remax. He said literally, and uh, no, I mean he was he was one of the original when Remax started. He was like, I'm in immediately in the eighties. A lot of people don't know this. So tons of experience. Why someone who maybe doesn't know who you are because they're not at Remax, you've got Zillow experience. Your experience in this industry, if you could kind of just walk us through that quickly. 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 I mean, <laughs> the bullet point, because we're all yeah. going down to that. No, uh, I'm going to make myself sound 80 years old, and I'm not. Um, no, my real estate career started early. At 17, I started buying commercial property. I bought two commercial retail buildings in the area where I lived. And my first house at 18, when I graduated high school, going to college, rented out a couple of bedrooms, uh, wow. decided that was less expensive than paying for a dorm. And it made me a lot cooler, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so it worked out pretty well. Got licensed when I was 21 while I was still in college. Uh, and I've been licensed now for 26 years. So that was my wow. forte into real estate. Started listing and selling, opened an office with a partner, did that for five years, uh, relocated back to Denver. I had grown up there, went to work at Remax headquarters for about 11 and a half years, left, went to Market Leader, which was acquired by Trulia, which was acquired by Zillow. We know how that story went. And then uh, I got recruited, it was about five years ago, um, by Century 21 to become president and CEO there. Mm -hmm. Did that for just about a year and a half, Lived in Denver the whole time, realized I wanted to stay there, and ironically, uh, phone rang, and it was, hey, would you ever come back and think about leading Remax? And so that's now been, gosh, coming up three years ago. How's that work? CEO of Remax, it's a global company, or are you sitting at the top of 
every division? How's it work? Yeah, so I lead the organization. So it's uh, quite an honor to lead a, an organization of over 142,000 professionals spanning 118 countries. Uh, when I say it out loud, sometimes it makes me nervous, but uh, it's it's really fun. It's it's neat. I'm just I love this business to its core. Yeah, probably makes you real nervous when you're just sitting with a couple of guys like us in a hotel room. You're like, I've got more important things to be doing right now, right? Like, <laughs> Not gonna, at all. I'm gonna run out of here. No, this no, is great. Nick was an immediate yes when I asked him. There an was immediate. no hesitation. That, I, awesome. I did appreciate that. That was very cool. No, it, it is because you are dealing with a lot of moving parts. How many people report to you? Like, what's it? You know, what's your day to day? Yeah. So, uh, employee wise, we have about 705 employees um, at Remax Holdings. And uh, some of those are on our uh, model mortgage business. And then uh, the majority of them are on the Remax side. Uh, but of course, all the different divisions within. And my job, of course, to lead the vision of the company and take what I know about the industry, previous experience, having gone to a competitor, portals. It just has given me a really interesting lens to look through in this business. And so I have to combine that with a little bit of my gut instinct and drive the vision of the company forward so that people like uh, Mr. Tool over here uh, can get behind the future of where we're going. I think it's pretty cool that you've sold. You've listed, you've sold, you did that for a number of years. You were licensed for 20 years, like you just said. And by the way, I didn't sell any in 21, but I was very proud of while I was doing this job, I sold $4 million in volume in 2020. That is did really you, hard. Really? Like, yeah. That, that is a lot well, of real well, estate so, to sell. So, in Oh, 20... by the way, that's not true. I told this story when I was in LA. No reaction. They looked at me like, who'd you split a deal with? I went to Cleveland. I got a standing ovation yes, on that. I'm so. from Philadelphia. And, and, we would have been on the quarter million yeah. dollar listing show, not the million dollar listing so, show. On, so it, I appreciate it, the production. So I did was okay. this one deal? What was the deal? 2020, because you were- uh, It was five deals. Um, you were an exec in 2020. Yeah. And you did five deals. I did five. That's right. And you, you didn't refer them out. You did them. It's not easy selling real no, estate. No, no, I, I 100% did it myself. Was it to make sure you're closer to the agent side of the business? Why'd you do that? Well, um, it was really because a very close friend uh, asked if I could help him with a transaction. It started um, while I had some time off during a non-compete period, and then it just kind of spiraled a little bit. But it, it's not that I wanted to compete against agents, but at my core, my foundation started selling real estate. Yeah. I love it. But I also, it's really good in this role for me to be at the front line of the transaction. And I can tell you in 26 years exactly what's changed and what has not changed. There's obviously a lot of broker owners who have never sold real estate. And then there's some at the very top of the business like yourself. Gino's done it. Uh, I don't know. Glenn? Glenn done it? Yeah. Yeah. Glenn's done it for EXP. So there's some that are all the way at the top. So if you are selling right now, it's like, wow, you can go all the way to the very top of a Remax or some of these other brands. It's pretty, pretty impressive that you actually- I'm not here to get listings, just to be yeah, clear. Yeah. Don't send your <laughs> listings to Nick, send them over to Tom for sure. Yeah, I like that, yeah. thank you. Or if they're in Connecticut, I'll, I'll yeah, take you'll that. Yeah, take them. I'll take that. <laughs> wild, just wild. I would have never even expected you to say that with your resume recently. Yeah, and it's, um, it's something that it does surprise a lot of people. And I think at the end of the day though, whether you've, it doesn't mean you, it, are not successful or will be successful in a role like I have. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if I would have been able to do this job any other way. Mm. And I think that that's been probably the best part of walking through this industry and taking the path over the years that I've had is when someone tells me about their challenges with a deal or this multi-offer situation that buyers have been going through or um, challenges in getting listings or how to overcome objections with buyers and sellers. That's just, I can go right there and, and yeah. think about now as a global organization, 
how do how do we create the vision for creating tools and services for brokers and agents that make their lives easier with buyers and sellers? And so it's just for me personally, I guess, because I don't know anything different. It just helps knowing that front line really well. Having global insight and some of those markets are so much different. Commissions are so much different in other markets and other countries. What's one thing agents should be thinking about in our future that might already be happening in another market? in another continent, in another country. Well, you're right. Countries are completely different. I mean, I was just speaking in Argentina a few weeks ago. There's no license law, no organized MLS. It's just wake up and say, I'm going to sell real estate. Um, so just very different rules. Um, so I don't think even with the global experience, I can look at other countries and, and, and talk about the different rules or lack thereof. I think at the end of the day, though, there's one common element that spreads across every single one of the 118 countries that at least we have a presence in, which is our job is we don't sell houses. I don't believe that. I believe houses sell themselves. Mm -hmm. I believe we sell the service and the connection to make it successful of someone that wants or needs to sell um, with someone that wants or needs to buy. And we bring that together because it's scary. It's complex. It's one of the largest transactions that people do. And the fact that we can be knowledgeable and help that come together is the absolute common thread that spans every country. Well, when you think about that, right, we've talked about this before, where that's you being the guide in the transaction and the hero is the client versus a lot of agents. And I think the ones that don't do well, they want to be the hero. They want to be like that knight in shining armor in a Disney movie instead of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and <laughs> guiding them through the process. So I think that's really critical. Um, you have a ton of experience. I mean, I've spoken about this with my father. He you know, knew who you are when, when you came back in. Like he's one of the Remax old school kind of kind of guys. What did your experience at companies like Zillow, which some people think they're horrible, some people think they're great. I'm 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 all for Zillow. We're flex partners, both of us here. How did that help you lead the company now? Because some people look at it as a threat and some people look at portals in general, not just Zillow. Sure. And some people look at them as a partner or a way to client acquisition. How's that helping you lead Remax? Well, first and foremost, thanks for the question. I absolutely love that because I rely on it on a regular basis. We have to realize that... Um, this is a big industry. You look at real estate as a whole as 15 to 18% of GDP across the United States. It's big. And I tell people all the time, we've got to remember, not every company in this space is truly competing. Mm -hmm. For example, at Remax, we're a franchise company. Uh, we award franchises and those franchises are entrepreneurs, Tom, just like yourself. You run your own business and you go out and find agents that want to become part of your company and stay with your company so that those entrepreneurs can build you can't buy a franchise from Zillow. You can't buy advertising from Remax. And so even though we service the same space, we do different things. And when you look at- Some brokers look at that very differently than what you just articulated. Absolutely, and then they get caught up in the noise. Yeah. And here's an example of where there is a conflict point in some of these companies. So let's let's we're picking on Zillow a little bit. I've talked about that um, the company has a rub with what they want to do with the consumer versus the agent. And I can sum it up in one word inside the industry, Zestimate, right? People were throwing tomatoes at me for years saying, it's not right. The value isn't right. They haven't been in the home. I have. And they get really worked up emotionally. Well, what I tell people is realize this wasn't about being the perfect um, value of a home. What it was is feeding the eyeballs of homeowners to say, come to our site, and then they'll continue to develop and look more. And so um, we have to keep in mind that we're serving, they're serving a buyer and seller as their North, North Star, 
broker owners are serving their agents as their North Star with consumers being part of their agent's business. So long-winded way to say, I think what it has taught me is figuring out who your customer is, realizing that there are different companies in this space that do different things, but they, they may all touch the same consumer. You have one buyer, they may start on Zillow. They um, get a mortgage, they use a title company. That same person may be touched throughout our industry by multiple different companies, but they do different things in the process. And that's where I, I see the industry get, just get twisted up is they forget that we're all doing different things, but then the conspiracy theories come in. And I have a great friend that's been in this business over 40 years, and he said um, to me years ago when I was there, he said, you have to realize that there's always a boogeyman in this business, and if there's not one, we'll make one up. Yeah. And that's the reality of, of, of this industry. So Nick, current CEO of Remax, but five years at Zillow, what's the future of Zillow? You'd have to ask them. I have. <laughs> <laughs> now you want and, my I've asked, and I've asked the former CEO. Uh, no, you want uh, you want my opinion well, on what's it? your what's your speculation on that? Well, I think that when you look at their core business being in um, in the advertising business, look at leads. Go back eight nine years ago, there were four and a half million transactions in the U.S. Four point six million leads generated. We last year had six million transactions. Not that many more, but we had over 200 million leads delivered to agents. And mm -hmm. so there's just this huge quote lead. And I'm convinced that agents don't necessarily want leads. They want to get closer to transaction ready consumers. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that's that big delta that I think is going to be seen in the future. But I also think, you know, they've talked about um, kind of a super app, the idea that the I've coined this term for years, the Domino's pizza tracker of uh, the consumer, the buyer, yes. um, going through the transaction of a fragmented industry is difficult to do. And so I think that they'd love to take a run at that, sell some advertising in the different uh, components, and they'll probably continue to do that and do it well. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. That's gonna that's what they're talking about every single yep. week. Is that's the been super the rhetoric, app, yeah. app, uh, which is going to obviously, they're going to go hard in the paint. My opinion, this is me speculating, not putting words in Nick's mouth, go hard in the paint on mortgage and, and those kind of services. Over the, over the next few years. And can I comment? There's a challenge with this. Uh, the margins in mortgage and title are higher in our industry. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. no secret 100%. about that um, versus, say, say brokerage, um, not on the agent side. But the reality is you take companies like a Rocket Mortgage, like a Loan Depot, mm -hmm. you take other, quote, national companies that try to get into mortgage. They almost hate real estate agents because their pull-through rate is interrupted. They may jump online and get pre-qualified. And then uh, Tom has me in and says, oh, by the way, I have a great mortgage person that I want to get like you options. to know. Because you, the agent knows they can help get you to the closing. Yeah. And maybe someone far, far away that gave you a quote, a prequel, can't, can't get you to closing quite as well, given local nuances. And so what happens is these companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, customer acquisition, mm -hmm. only to find that once an agent gets involved, that pull-through rate breaks, yeah. and they maybe go with someone in the local market. Well, yeah. And there's usually a reason for that. So we just went through a sale with Zillow Home Loans. It's the first one. You know where the appraiser came from? Buffalo, New York. That little, is six hours from Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I was going to say I knew a ton about your market. And, and so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 but it's, it's, I think that's the issue with consumer. And then, of course, the appraiser doesn't come through on the value and there's all these issues that come up. So the reason agents do that is because they're actually trying to help consumers. And I think that's what people lose sight of. And I do agree. I think it's hard from someone in another time zone. You can't get face to face with you can't have that relationship with versus the local realtor with the local lender, which is why to me, a company like Remax is really underrated because it's all local based. It's all franchised. 
and you get local experts, I think that that is the challenge. And that's why you see them use title and all that other stuff. I'd like Nick to dig into that a little bit. I mean, you said it's crazy because you've been Remax, what, your whole career? I, yeah, I've been with and Remax 21 years. 21 years. Smart and, guy. I, I mean, so, that's more than I'm half my life, impressed. to be very clear. Like, this is a very long time. I had Remax t-shirts as Christmas gifts when I was in high school for my dad. No joke. Like, right, this well, is what well, he would give out. This I is not that. a Remax plug. My job here I'm to just keep, telling you my keep, this, my life. Uh, that's keep this, this pod on, you know, super transparent, non-biased. But Remax has kind of, I would say, that's a great word, underrated. Remax has been not front and center, this is my words, over the last five years where you see, obviously, you know, the acceleration of EXP with all the agents that they've accumulated. You know, we've got the, I don't know, Macy owns 30% of real. He's lurking over here in the hotel room. They've only got like four or 5,000 agents, but certainly there are, you know, some of these new models, which I would call an MLM, he would get very upset about that. Um, Pier, mean pyramid scheme? Is that, that what you're no, going no, for? No, no, no. I'm not saying, I'm just saying MLM. MLMs are fine, right? But these stock ownership companies, right? They've made a lot of noise with that model. Uh, there's the traditional model, right? You've got, you know, you know, all the companies there. Remax is stuck with their model. Is this a model that works in the future? And w- how, where does Remax sit in the next five years? Well, first, first off, we have to realize that if it was all about one economic model, one company would have every agent. Yes. Great point. So let's Great start point. there. And so I think that as, as I have seen in my 26 years, new entrants come to the market, whether it be locally or nationally, the number one thing that they try to compete on is quote the economics. And, um, that's not the only valuable component because here's the reality. 87% of agents fail. And you guys probably know this, you know, Tom Ferry really well. Um, he quotes this all the time. I steal it from him. 87% of agents that get a license don't have it five years later. And when you look at after the great recession, we had just North of 900,000 agents We're back up to 1.6 million. And it just started dropping for the first time in 10 years. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. But the reality is, and the reason it takes five years is because once you get the license, you may be on a three-year renewal cycle. You don't just shove it back to the state. Yeah. Oh, I come up for a renewal. I haven't been doing real estate in 18 months, and then I'll send it back. Not once have I heard someone say, I had to send my license back because of the economics with my broker. Yeah. I firmly believe that the number one people, the number one reason that agents don't succeed in this business is they just don't sell enough houses. And so to me, this business is not about how we slice and dice dice the economics. You can pay a monthly fee. You can be on a split. You can, however you want to do this. If you want to have some kind of um, MLM, sorry. Um, No, whatever kind of... um, We're clipping that one out, Nick. Let's say ownership equity, however you want to coin it. Um, The reality is there is nothing to provide unless a closing doesn't happen with a consumer. And so when I look at, um, sure, new new companies are going to come up. They always have. I also think because of the hot real estate market, our industry kind of looks like the Vegas Strip. Yep. There are lights flashing and things jingling all over the place. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, I really think um, success is driven by if you sell real estate. Yeah. And, and you know, I, we're using these like an EXP as a hot new company as of late as maybe the comparison model. But we're friends, you know, Tim started at EXP before he went to real who's here sitting in the room with us. We know so many team leaders there and the ones that are successful in that model, like a Remax sure. or anywhere are the ones that do what you just said, sell a ton 
of real estate, help people mm-hmm. buy, sell, and invest. That's right. In their local communities. Yeah. And that's why I think you'll never hear me say anything about another company in a negative light. Uh, because I think that at the end of the day, I also know this, that agents have to find leadership and culture that fits to make them uh, want to get up in the morning and they're independent contractors. They want to drive their success. And, um, and, and, and so culture and leadership, I think, is ultimately just as important um, than anything else in our business. Yeah. I mean, I see agents in, in almost every state and we have you know friends all over the country where agents will leave one company and go to a no-name independent brokerage that is offering nothing. And and there's like team leaders and independent brokers, you know, and the brokers and franchise owners and all this. They're like, what the heck is Agent X doing going to this yep. no-name? But they see something in the culture. It's not necessarily the economics or whatever else, but there's some kind of friendship. There's something pulling them into that brokerage, even though they're offering nothing often. Sure. Well, and also we've got to consider the nature of people that are in sales, yeah, which is sometimes you look externally for what you excites you, but actually you make a change because you needed to reignite the fire in yourself. And so I think a lot of agents actually are reigniting their own fire versus what they think they're being drawn to on the other side as being a better widget. Um, and that's just the nature of sales. And I don't care if you're selling real estate, selling houses, sell, or selling cars, selling insurance. Sometimes the salespeople, we think, I need to make a change. But really, the change is because you need to get yourself excited again. I think it's having that meeting with yourself. And a lot of times, like people, they they want to jump, like you said, because they think there's something that's holding them back. When it's really, they're not doing the right things in the first place. And maybe their business got a little stale or, or, or something else like that. So uh, knowing how competitive the market is, we do a show called Agent Hacks. So you watching like agents out here. What's your one piece of advice coming from Nick Bailey that you mm-hmm. would recommend agents take action on right now for the second half of the year or if they need to reignite themselves, like you said? Well, uh, right now, there's something that's extremely timely. We've talked about inventory so low and we have an inventory problem, right? I'm sure you've talked about that yes. here yeah. on your show. Quite a bit. OK, do you realize we don't have an inv- we have inventory a problem? lack of stale inventory? We have a days on market problem. Yeah, same, same, we're talking about the same, same thing. thing. Yes. Uh, if we had an inventory problem, we wouldn't have sold 6.1 million homes last year. However, it's who gets to it first. And going back to statistically, and I'm a real estate agent, so I can say this, we suck at keeping in touch with the people that um, we care about the most. My good friend, Jared James, he's a coach, and he yeah, talks about the life. Milford, yeah. Connecticut. Shout out, Jared. Orange. Orange. Lives Orange. In Orange. Milford. There you yeah, go. Orange, you're right. Right next to Milford. Um, he talks about- <laughs> My bad, If Jared. you look at just one, um, one transaction, he said, if a client walked around and say had a lifetime value, $117,000 sign above their head, and you did one transaction and maybe it was a $10,000 commission, if you saw that blinking 117, wouldn't you pay attention to them? And I think that that's really well said. Um, that people do this two, three, four times in their life with buying and selling. And statistically, when you look at, uh, there are numbers out there and they're all pretty close. The one I go by is 94% of buyers at the closing table say they would use you again. Uh but less than 13% do. And there's a reason for that. Uh, repeats and referrals are the vast majority of top producers' business. Top producers know that mechanics. And I'm not talking, uh, go put everybody on a terrible monthly newsletter drip campaign. <laughs> you're losing, right? And so my advice is, if you're looking at the next half of the year, one, there are going to be people that want to list We know that more listings to the market to give buyers more choice and time to choose is going to be beneficial. 
And you'd be surprised. People go out and they want to buy leads and where should I get this? And they run to their broker. What are you doing for me? But really, if they pick this up and they've got a thousand or 2000 people in it and just do something with it, they probably got more business in their back pocket um, than anything they could ever purchase out in the open market. I love this because I think right now, in fact, I know agents need to go back to basics. Like the market's turning, right? Mm. We have our people door knocking a lot right now. I mean, you had uh, James from LA. Like he said, everyone, he's in that luxury market. Yeah. And he said, you know how I got started? I door knocked. Well, wow, I haven't heard that before. It's all the stuff that's worked for years. Relentlessly. Is, what, is what's working now because you can compete for those internet leads if you want, or you mm -hmm. can just work the relationship that you have that's much more likely to yield an outcome. And the people are probably already going to, it's like a pre-approved buyer coming in, right? They, they already, oh, my friend or my my pet, my cousin, whomever, they said you did a really good job. That barrier's already down instead of like, who is this person calling me? So well, I, and, I love the old school stuff. Okay, so let me give you old school with a modern twist on door knocking. Let's see it. Um, I never door knocked because I didn't want to do that. Hey, knock, knock, I'm... Uh, Nick from Remax and I have no business. I mean, that's essentially what the dialogue was. And so, no, I'm not doing that. Here's the beautiful part today is real estate's on the mind of everybody. Yeah. And so when you get a new listing, um, statistically, it also, I'm big on stats if you can't tell. Uh, statistically, it. there is at least one house in the next 30 days on the same street that will go yeah. on the market and two to three within the next 90 days, right? We've all yes. seen that. All of a sudden, one pops 100%. up and two neighbors. You're right on the money there. Nick. All right. So that means that they were thinking about it before the sign went in the yard. Yep. So I get a listing. Guess what I'm going to do? I walk out from the listing. I do not go back and make a just listed postcard or marketing material or digital flyer or um, digital marketing on That's a social media. Me piece. You're going to walk across the street and you're going to door knock five houses right around that new listing and say, Hey, by the way, I'm Nick from Remax. I just wanted you to know your neighbor's house across the street is going up for sale tomorrow. So I just wanted you to be the first to know you're going to see a for sale sign. This market has been completely crazy. If you'd like me to keep in touch with you, because likely prices went up by 18% last year and they're still on the rise this year. It's on people's minds. If you'd like me to keep in touch about the activity of what happens, that's going to affect your value. Yeah name, cell phone, or see where I'm going to build this database. And by the way, it doesn't have to be your listing. It could be Tom's listing. Yep. As soon as it hits the MLS, if that's my farm area, I'm going to door knock and say, hi, Mr. And Mrs. Homeowner. I just wanted you to know this home just went on the market. Look at this crazy listing price. Yeah. If you want, see where I'm going with this? Yes. And so what it is, is it's, uh, for me, it's yes, back to basics, but it's taking these, these core principles of our business but making them a little bit modern. Enhancing them with technology. Yeah. And I, I, I love that because I think that's the old school stuff works. It's physically enhanced, but technology can drive it and make it a little more scalable. for That's people. right. And I'm big on AI and tech and where that's going. That will dramatically change marketing. You asked where Agreed, in yeah. the next five years. Uh, I think the biggest change that we'll see, and I'll talk about it on stage tomorrow when I'm here, is what hasn't changed is the idea that an agent is trying to find someone that wants to buy or sell. Mm-hmm. Um, what has changed instead of going to Rotary and going to the Chamber of Commerce functions and saying, do you know someone? Do you know someone? Uh, what it is, is we're using AI um, type of technology with database and public data, bringing it together and saying, instead of sending out 600 postcards to your farm area, how about send 20, do a pop by or door knock? Because these are the people that are most likely to engage in real estate. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden as an agent, I'm way more efficient in my marketing spend and my time. And instead of people being afraid of data, 
That's the thing with the portals. People, oh my gosh, Zillow acquired dot loop. I don't want my data. Well, sorry, your cell number, your at your email, it's already out there. It's they already have data. the data. It's already there. People <laughs> need to get over it. But it's now what people can do with the data to lead you to someone that wants to buy or sell faster than somebody else. And you're gonna get looked up even if you get referred, right? Mm-hmm. So th- you know, no matter what, they're gonna go online and look you up before they call you. That's right. right. And so you got to look good online, but you've got to be able to connect with everybody in the community. How do you want to wrap this thing up, Tom? Because I know, I know we're- I mean, I, I got, there was so many valuable nuggets here. Like this is one of those, you're going to have to write back and take notes yeah. and like make sure, especially the, the the lead generation stuff, but also how your experience at other places that people may view as competitors, you look at it as an advantage. I think that's the abundance mindset, which a lot of people lack right now. So we're in this kind of two-year window where the pandemic happened, things have been accelerated, what's the biggest takeaway you have for anyone in the real estate industry right now? Uh, post-pandemic. Post-pandemic. The, let's let's call it since May of 2022, when things kind of <laughs> opened up, at least in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And thank you, Adam Contos, the only person who responded to me to help open the state up, and he got in contact with the governor. So wow. that I was mean, very you, helpful. You got big remax. I, I, it, was, it was very kind of him, but it was... Uh, that's right. Adam and I worked together to write that letter. Uh, that letter so was know. really good. So thank you. Was, <laughs> we had to do that in Michigan helpful. and a couple more states too. I, I um, Just thank you is what I want to say. <laughs> well, it's either thank you, I'm sorry for real estate being deemed essential or not. I mean, it just depends yeah, yeah, on how yeah. burned out you are. Um, <laughs> True. Okay. So two things post pandemic. We've had a great real estate market. I worry about agents because I think they're going to go from burnout to broke because there are too many agents that haven't been in the business long enough and they're used to being order takers. I've read this book before in 04, 05, and 06. A lot of agents really hate what they're doing right now because of the burnout side. Because they're burned out. Yeah. Oh, but wait eight or 10 months until they're broke and saying, ooh, maybe I'm not burned out. But the idea is too many agents have have been order takers. There's been so much volume of business and connection and neighbors, and you didn't have to work real hard to go hunt for the business. Um, so that's number one I can encourage people to do. Don't wait for the phone to ring or the order to come in. Um, there's going to be a lot of agents waiting for their orders mm-hmm. and the restaurant's already out of business. Fill the pipeline now. Yep. Go and hunt. The second thing is just like Zoom was not a new technology when the pandemic started, just the vast majority of people hadn't used it. It's very true. It wasn't new, folks. No, we were on it. For, I, I mean, know, just with coaching calls and stuff like that. Like yeah. that was, I'm like, oh, great. I already got a Zoom account. And so. you look at the average age of a real estate agent that maybe didn't grow up with video conferencing. Um, two reasons they won't use video. Don't like how they look. Don't like how they sound. We've all gotten over that. I think in the last two years, technology wasn't new. So here's a new one post pandemic that will stay. Um, virtual tours, true virtual tours, not the 25 photos from the MLS set to funeral music. That is not a virtual tour. That's a slideshow. That's right. Uh, with terrible music. Yes. Um, we're talking actually really feel like you're walking through the house. You can see the crack. I mean, really, really good stuff. Only 6% of houses have virtual tours online. And granted, days on market have been low, and that's part of it. Uh, But generally, um, historically, over 80% of virtual tours have been on properties over 4,000 square feet or a million dollars or more. And of course, that million dollars, depending on which market, um, differs. But the upper tier of the market. Um, All of our studies and consumer behavior show at all price levels, that's what consumers expect when they do home search. Home search has come a long way. We love big, beautiful photos, but homeowners, even in a market, $250,000, they want to be able to eliminate the houses they don't want to see by walking through. And so once again, just like Zoom wasn't new, but we got used to using it more, 
Virtual tours have never been new, but we better get used to using it more. And it's start your digital resume. Because a year from now, when days on market are 90 days instead of two weeks, mm -hmm. your sellers are going to say, Tom, why isn't it in the Wall Street Journal? Tom, why yeah, doesn't it have a virtual tour? I've all these questions. <laughs> and so all of a sudden now, your listing digital resume is going to go like this. Yeah. Because that's how I'm going to differentiate myself. Oh, Tom only puts for a million dollar plus. Uh, you're a $300,000 uh, homeowner, home seller, you're just as important. And I have a, a better way to market your home. Wow. We sold 17 homes virtually in Pennsylvania in 2020 because when we knew the state was getting shut down, we sent our videographer out and he said, here's what the heater looks like. And here's the basement and all and exactly what you're like a real virtual mm -hmm. tour where you can buy the home without seeing it. And that 17 homes in that climate, that was a big win. That's so huge. I, I, that this is the case study that proves what Nick's talking about actually works. Because I've lived this and we had no other option. So I mean, I think that, I think that's great advice. But the key is you're right on. We had no other option. We still have options. Now we have today, the options. I agree. But now you have to figure out how to differentiate yourself. And so you have to keep doing that. Don't stop doing it because consumers still want to see it. Man, there is, so, you said, go back, watch this one again, listen to it again, whatever. Make sure you're subscribed, of course, if you're going to go back again. <laughs> but Nick, man, my respect level is through the roof for you. A true operator, but somebody who's done it on the ground floor, man. I, I just really appreciate you spending the time and sharing Thanks. so much. I mean, you, you dumped a whole bunch into this pod, so really appreciate Sorry it. Sorry if it was too much. No, I think it was As great. my wife says, you're a lot. I, I know, I know. <laughs> it was awesome. It's we're, the we're red hair, man. We were talking about this. I have a young oh, red-headed daughter. No, I, 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 Ginger's in my blood. It's okay, you, we can- You, you know, do this You today. do this every year, okay. right? T360? I do. Naples, my hometown. We're gonna do this again. That sounds good. We'd All love right, to. we already got the commitment. We've got right. pod number two next, a year from now. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. I love what you said about virtual tours. I know Byron's really big on the next phase of title and cryptocurrency. Can you speak a little bit to more legacy established brands like Remax, like the Century 21? How do you see virtual tours evolving with Metaverse, with something like this being at the forefront of everybody's minds? How long do you think that that type of virtual tour becomes mass adoption? Yeah, so I, I think when you look at blockchain in terms of the technology to house virtual tours, I think has a lot of potential. I just did a thing on uh, crypto and meta and on my last month's Keeping It Real show. And here's what I think is going to happen. I think um, one part of it is semi-real with the currency component. Two, the technology, um, especially when you talk about title and you look at the hexadecimal and, you know, with the security measures behind what, 16 different components per per decimal. Um, like I see that being part of our the future of our industry. What I think is a video game and not gonna last very long is the idea that we're going to buy virtual land and spend a ton of money on all this fake space. Because at the end of the day, we sell shelter and buying a fake house is a game. It doesn't put shelter over your head. And then the last part of it is I think it's going to become regulated at least in the US much more quickly than we believe because at the end of the day when you talk about people that go up to kind of a crypto ATM they're still putting in dollar bills and so it is a stock item that people are using as an exchange of currency that is yet to be regulated every big executive right now has a similar answer and i agree with you 100% on the metaverse like the metaverse is so far away from becoming relevant but there's a lot of people pushing money into it right now so yeah well, what, what i know about the metaverse i think the actual value of real real estate is going to go through the roof and continue to if people yeah. are spending money on, on the play on the play world right now. So I think it actually is, is strong for our industry. Absolutely.